Welcome to the Let's Break Bread podcast. This is Eli. This is my new. And this season, we will be inviting Christian leaders and teachers to join us to talk about things that matter to many young adult Christians today. We hope these conversations will encourage, challenge, and inspire your faith and your walk with the Lord. We also encourage you to continue these conversations within your local church. You can find us on Instagram at Let's Break Bread. Friends, let's break bread together. Come invited and listen in on gospel-centered conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Break Bread podcast. And in today's episode, we will be talking about biblical literacy with Pastor Sopat Dutch. So, Sopat, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and share with us a little bit about what you do? Well, it's great to be here and be a part of this podcast. It's actually my first podcast, so I've been a uh, speaker or a guest on, and so it's uh, it's an honor to be here today. And yes, I am a pastor. I pastor a small church in Holland, Michigan. It's a bilingual church, Cambodian and English. It's called the Cambodian Fellowship Christian Reformed Church. So yes, we are part of the Christian Reformed denomination. I've been pastoring there as the senior pastor for the last two years now as senior pastor. And then I've been the associate pastor for three years before that. And prior to that, I've been working with the youth ministry and, and then I became their pastor. But yeah, I've uh, been involved with the Cambodian community in Holland and um, also working with many of the other Asian churches in our region, in our area. And so uh, that's my heart and passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in our ethnic context and um, also to the context, at, the larger context. I am married to a Hmong woman. Her name is Mai Tan. And um, we have four children together, Caleb, Josiah, and Catriel, and Ezra. Between the four of them, there is a eight-year gap. And so we still have our hands pretty full now with teenagers and two toddlers. And so um, it's, it's still wonderful to be a parent, but also to uh, be called to be a shepherd of God's church. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today and for this being your first podcast platform too. Uh, I know you had the opportunity to be a speaker at multiple places, so we're so thankful that you're here. So for everyone who doesn't know, Sopat is actually, um, I've actually had a, a great time with him being his mentee. I'm also being able to serve alongside him at um, an organization that we both have had a great time at uh, encouraging youth towards spiritual maturity. So I'm so thankful um, and excited to hear with us today. So but our first question today is a question we ask all of our guests and it goes, if the gospel is that you are more sinful than you ever thought you were, and you are more loved than you ever dreamed you could be. When was the gospel first good news to you, and how is it still today? Um, yeah, the gospel to me was when I opened the scriptures and really read it and understand and understood it for myself. And the reason I say that is because when I was younger, um, I didn't quite understand what it means to be a Christian and what it means to have faith in Jesus. And um, I grew up a Buddhist background. My parents were immigrants, and I was also an immigrant. And when we came to the United States, we were sponsored by the Christian Reformed Church. And um, you know, I've been hearing about Jesus, going to, going going to vacation Bible school, and hearing more about Jesus, and and didn't really understand why he was so important. And at that point, my family and I. I just really cared about being involved in a church because it benefited us in some way where they were helping us with finding employment, finding housing, supporting us with food and clothing and things like that. So a lot of good social services that came out of the church that we decided to take advantage of. 
not actually going to church because we believed in Jesus. And um, <clears throat> as I got older, I started asking questions like, what, what does this mean? And why did Jesus have to die for our sins and things like that? And not even believing I was a sinner. Uh, when I asked others around me, um, pastors and youth pastors, they couldn't quite articulate the answers I was looking for. And so um, it was a youth pastor for the Cambodian church that said to me, I asked him these questions and he said, you know, Solpat, I don't know the answer to your question, but if you want to know the answer for yourself, then, then read the Bible for yourself. And I was a stubborn, arrogant little uh, jerk back then. <laughs> and I decided, you know what, I'll take that challenge and read the Bible uh, just to show you, you know, show you up. And uh and I did. I opened up the Bible and, and started reading, read John and the Gospel of John. And really, it was through that where I started realize, to realize that I was in need of salvation. And the reason why I was a sinner, even if I didn't think I was that bad, was because I violated and rebelled against a holy God. And my, my righteousness falls so short of his holy standard. And because of that, I realized that I couldn't save myself. And, and turn to Jesus for that salvation in, in the gospel. And that's, that's really when the gospel came to me, when I read the scriptures, um, realized the depravity and the, the depth of my own sinfulness, and then um, just realizing what, as you said, what great love the Father has for us by sending his son. And so, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. So then moving towards the body of our conversation today, um, we're talking about the Bible and biblical literacy and why the Bible is so integral to the Christian life and faith. So starting off, so about what is the Bible and why is it important to the Christian? The Bible is God's special revelation to his people, to his church in particular. And uh, when I say special, it's not something that people can find or even it's not something that's revealed generally. So it's God's special words to his people that pertains and is in, in respects to salvation and how one can come to be saved. And so it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's God revealing salvation through his son, Jesus. And that's what the, the Bible actually is. With that, why is it important to Christians? I think a lot of Christians don't really know why it's important for us, even though it's the revelation of Jesus. Yeah, it's important to Christians because Christians are, quote unquote, Christians, believers of Jesus, and those who are saved by Jesus, because that salvation is found through the Bible, through the Holy Scriptures. And if it wasn't for the special revelation of God, we would be still lost in our sins. We would not know who Jesus is. We wouldn't know how, we would know, not, not know the greatness of God's love by sending his son. We wouldn't even know the, the, our own depravity in some respects. And that's why you have generally people in the world who don't believe in Jesus, you know, those who don't have a faith in Christ and his salvific work, because they don't know about it. They haven't read the Bible. They don't have that special revelation. And they look out to the world. They can look at creation and look at all sorts of things in the world and not find that salvation because it's not found in the world but it's found in the Bible, the special revelation. And so it's important in that, in that respect where we can't even come to know Jesus without the Bible. And in, in another respect, it's important because it continues to sanctify us. The hearing and the reading of God's word continues to shape us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we continue to be molded every time we come to the word. When we have doubts and stress and, and fears, we come to the word of God and we're reminded that he is sovereign over all things. We're reminded that, he, that, that nothing can, can destroy our spirits 
that our, our salvation is sovereignly held in God's hands. Things like that comfort us and reassure us. And so that's why we, it's important to not only uh, read the Bible as a Christian, to continue to be in it daily, but also to sit under the preaching of the word because we need to hear the gospel promises over and over. I really appreciate um, what you had to share, especially the part about like, we need to hear the gospel every single day uh, to be reminded of who our God is and how just how amazing he is and how he comes into our lives and just creates something so beautiful. Um, So then what is biblical literacy? Yeah, I would say biblical literacy. I'm just breaking down the word, right? Uh, The Bible is the center of that. And then being literate, being able to read it correctly. I would modify it with that word correctly. So often people can read the Bible, but without understanding what the Bible is actually saying, without reading it in its proper context, or understanding the different genres that are found in the scriptures. And so biblical literacy is how is reading the scriptures, understanding it in its proper context and in its proper categories and genre. And when we're able to read it that way, then we can see the whole picture. And I would say, just to kind of add to the the answer, here to have a good sense of biblical literacy we have to understand that the bible is the whole counsel of god concerning his son jesus christ uh, jesus says that in luke 24 he says the law and the prophets all speak about me they all talk about jesus and so com- combining the old testament with if everything that's, that the hebrews at the time were reading it was all pointing to jesus christ and the error that the hebrews and the, the israelites fell into is the fact that they couldn't see that they didn't see jesus in the law or the prophets and and so that's what happens today there's so much biblical illiteracy where people are reading the scriptures not seeing jesus in the old testament or seeing how the law is fulfilled in jesus christ um and so that's what biblical literacy is it's the um being able to read the scriptures correctly so you know in my time at undergrad i've been able to read a lot of different studies and research polls about you know the internal life of churches right And I think that something I've noticed, or at least I saw within the studies and the results, is that there's an overarching narrative that like the church overarchingly is less literate in the Bible than the the generation previous to it. And that continues today. And I think I see that a lot, you know, with working with youth and the churches I've worked with, um, you know, there's that sense of like, there's just so much biblical illiteracy. And why do you think that is? Yeah, I would say because less people are reading, period. A very popular author and theologian I respect, his name is T. David Gordon. He studies a category of study uh, he calls media ecology. He talks about how different medias have changed the way we think and changed the way we interact with data. And so one of the mediums that most, I mean, everyone engages in today is digital mediums, uh, um, social media, images, screen time, television, phones, right? So all these things. And because we're more in to these medias than we are actually reading books, our brains are wired differently now than it used to be. So if we want to know what's going on in the world, instead of picking up a newspaper and reading all the letters from a newspaper, we'll just quickly go to Twitter to find out a hundred and some words of what's going on in the world or, or to our feeds on social media to see what's going on. And sometimes we don't even read the articles. We just look at the picture and the headline. And that's enough to tell us something about what's happening in the world. And all you need is a headline that says that, you know, uh, the president found a cure to the COVID-19. And that's all we need to know. And we say, hey, there's a cure out there. Not even knowing 
is if there actually is a cure, what kind of source are we reading? That kind of thing. That's where a lot of our minds have changed in that respect. And so to sit down and read the Bible, I think it takes intentional effort to sit down in church for, you know, an hour and have a 30 minute sermon. I think it's difficult for many and more and more we'll find in churches, as you said, in the internal life of churches is that they want the sermons shorter and maybe the singing longer or something else like that. If you go 45 minutes in a church preaching a sermon, you're going to have people who did not like that, most likely, because they're not used to that anymore. That's not something that people do is sitting that long to hear somebody preach, I suppose. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons why the illiteracy is so great. So what churches are doing now is to target that audience and mold their uh, format, their uh, worship service, their worship styles, and even the preaching itself to attract that type of mindset. And so you'll have books and classes and all sorts of different uh, programs that will teach you how to preach sermons that will attract that type of mentality. The problem is, is that a good thing to do? So because we live in an image culture now where it's social media and all we see is images, 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 instead of words and letters, because of that, you might have preaching that's more geared on giving you imagery than actual Bible verses, giving you a story tell giving you a vivid story so you can see something or see yourself in the picture that actually giving you the facts of the gospel, the historical, accurate, factual events that occurred. And that's what's happening now where we remember these stories and sermons that might relate to some application. But when somebody asks you, where do we find the Lord God being called holy, holy, holy in scripture? And it's two places, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, we're in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. And I don't know how many people in church can actually answer that or the importance of that, things like that. And so that's where I think uh, biblical illiteracy is so large now because of how we engage with everyday data in our society. Yeah, I definitely feel like when you were speaking, I definitely related to that. I was like, oh, yeah, I think very image related. I think um, in that sense, I see that in myself. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why it is difficult to read my Bible instead of like maybe seeing an imagery or having a story told to me in that sense. And it's something I have to like for continually confess of and repent of. <laughs> you know, so like, God help me uh, so that I can learn to continually learn to love your word right so in preparation for this podcast i asked around you know being like okay friends like when you hear the word bible when you hear about biblical literacy like what do you hear and you know i heard a lot of things different things one thing such as you know like you said like god's special revelation the story of jesus you know the word of god and i heard things like old antiquated legalistic and all this stuff uh, just a wide range of different vocabulary when it comes to why people either embrace following um jesus in loving the word of God or kind of are standoffish toward it. And so I guess my next question is to say, how then do you think we can start to talk about gaining <clears throat> biblical literacy, loving the Bible um, in our churches today that doesn't necessarily come off as antiquated or legalistic, but rather as an embrace of who God is? So, you know, so how we do that then is to put the emphasis 
and importance on the scriptures itself, right? And you, you remember this from your undergrad study. I guess you would say the core or even the driving force behind the Reformation 500 years ago was the sola scriptura. It was scripture alone as the foundation of faith and practice. And, and what you believe and why you believe it. You know, how, how do you live out what you believe as well? And so the scripture alone was the center of the Reformation movement is to come back to God's word. What does it say? You know, and ironically enough, 500, that was 500 years ago. And here we are again, sort of asking that same question, scripture alone. Should we now teach our children and teach our families and friends to turn back to God's word and, and to put down their phones and their video games or their TVs and movies? right to spend time in God's word and so I think that where we begin is showing the primacy and importance of scripture and people might ask well why do I need to read the bible why do I need to read the scriptures or have biblical literacy and the answer is because that is how we're being fed spiritually Jesus said himself when he was tempted in the wilderness he said man is not lived by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and that's the idea here is that on our own without God's scripture and his holy word we won't be we want to be growing in our sanctification. We won't be growing in our faith. And some might argue, well, you know, the Holy Spirit can work in me even when I'm not reading the Bible and when I'm not going to church. And that may be true, but the likelihood of that, I don't know. You know, try it. Try to be about the church and try it without, without being in God's word for months at a time and see if you're growing spiritually. You'll find that being fed and under God's word um, is what's going to have you be stronger in your faith in the long run. And even you see in the, in the New Testament with um, the Apostle Paul, he puts that emphasis on the scriptures, right? When he talks about preaching and believing, he says that how can they call on the one who they've never heard? How can they believe if no one preaches? You know, and how can they preach if they're not sent? And how can they be sent? You know, and, and so it's this whole idea that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And if faith, if hearing God's word is the initial instrument that gives us faith in Christ, the question then is how much more does it continually feed us in Christ and sustain us in our faith as well? And I think that's where the problem is today. People might say, well, yeah, I heard the Bible and the gospel preached to me and then I became a believer, but now what? Why do I still need to hear the Bible preached to me? And that's what it is. It's where this is what conforms us to the image of Christ. And then to take it even further, the image of Christ, he's the word incarnate. He's the word that became flesh, who became flesh. And so if the word and the image of Christ, and he's the word of God, how much more then if we are to be one and be in union with Christ, that we should be one in union with his word, with God's word. That's that whole idea there, where it's the word of God that sustains us because the word is Christ himself. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to be in his word. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and then from that, we've established that scripture is important and vital for Christians. And so in your experience, um, how have you gone about the process of teaching biblical literacy at home and at church? Or like, what has your experience been like? Yeah, so at home first. So I have four kids at home, teenagers and, and little ones. Um, and I have a wife at home as well. And in fact, now, even with COVID-19 and the pandemic, we're all at home, right? 
schooling from home, working from home, and uh, we're around each other often. And I think you can't just say, well, honey, I want you to read the Bible more and expect them to do it. You can't tell your children, you know, you need to take time out, read the Bible and hope that he would do it. Now, some families will say, okay, put your games away, put your phones away, read the Bible for one hour. And if they say, no, we don't want to, okay, well, then you're grounded. And I think that's a bad way to go about it too, because now you're equating scripture reading with punishment and it shouldn't be punishment. You shouldn't feel guilty or bad because you don't want to read the scripture. Scriptures. So what I model at home is I want, I model a desire. You want to be in the word. You see the importance of it. If we're hungry, we would go out and prepare dinner or we go out and get takeout and we would buy the foods that we enjoy eating. And if we went several hours without eating, we went half the day without eating. We will get really hungry, very starved, and we'll do whatever we can to get food in our bellies. That's the same mentality and spirit that I think we need to encourage our families with. Have them understand the importance of, I guess, to use the phrase, scriptural diet, to have a diet of scripture in your life. And the importance of that, and then the need for it, to have them understand that, you know, if you're struggling with your faith, come to God's word. If you're struggling with sin, turn to God's word. You know, if you need comfort and hope, turn to God's word. That's where it is. And that's what we, we understand because that's what I think those struggles in our life is our spirit telling us that we're hungry. We need to be fed. Just like how our stomach reacts when it no, has no food in it, we get hungry. And so I would model first, you can't you just can't tell your families to do this and that and make it legalistic then, but instead model it yourself. So if, you know, my new and Eli, if you want to encourage that in your home with your parents or with your siblings, well, what you're going to do is model it first. Let them see you read every day. Let them see you pray. Let, let them see you study for more than just 10 minutes, but, you know, an hour at a time. That's that's where I see when, when people around you are seeing that, I think they get more encouraged than they do feeling guilty. They shouldn't feel guilty. But some might, some might say, oh, I'm not like my new or like Eli. I, they're so much better than me. They might say that. They might think that. I doubt it. But it might be encouraging to say, hey, come join me in a reading. And so one of the things that I try to do, even though not all my kids will open up the scriptures and read with me, but what I do is what we would call the public reading of scripture. I would just have the audio Bible play a chapter of the scriptures. And I actually read four chapters in, uh, daily. And so I'll have it playing in the background and I will do my study listening to the audio Bible. And my kids are hearing it. My wife is hearing it. And if they're interested, they'll come and join me and listen with me. Those are ways that I encourage them at home. And in the end, as I said, I think it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to sanctify your family at home to want to be a part of that. You hear that saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? And that's the idea here. You can you can lead your family to the scriptures, but you're not going to make them want to read it. You're not going to make them enjoy it. And they won't enjoy it as long as their spirit isn't right. And it would be wrong, I believe, to have a wrong spirit in reading God's word. And what we want to encourage in our home and family is a, the right spirit spirit who desires and hunger for his word. And so that's what happens at home. And then, you know, through prayer, praying for your children and for your family members, uh, hoping that the Lord will continue to work that in their life and give them a desire to do so. And for the church, same thing. As a pastor, my church is not going to model anything or do anything unless the pastor models it and the elders need to model it. And so we try to be particular with our leadership, with our church, with modeling the practices that feed us spiritually. And so um, in my preaching, we put an emphasis on the scriptures and on the gospel. 
um, making sure each week we're preaching the gospel. Each week we are actually articulating what the gospel is. So each one of our members in church, when they're asked, well, what is the gospel? They can actually say what the gospel is. They can actually say that it's the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, him living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have died. And when our when our people hear that from the elders, from the pastor, when they see us modeling grace in our lives and grace of our families, that's where we see the church start modeling it themselves and wanting to be a part of that as well. And so we do put an emphasis on Bible studies. We have multiple Bible studies throughout the week. Our church knows that the scripture is very important. And so we encourage our church members to be a part of these Bible studies throughout the week so they can continue to grow in those things as well. And that's how we kind of encourage biblical literacy in the church by encouraging them to be fed, not just on Sundays, but, you know, throughout the week. But yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much how I would approach it from home and from church. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and then going off of that, in your context, what's been the biggest challenge that you've seen when addressing or teaching biblical literacy? Yeah, in my context, it's difficult because I'm revealing my hand here. But uh, I've, I've been disappointed with the generation of pastors that came before us and generation of leadership that came before us, before my generation. You know, we've, and we've been blessed to have education in the United States to be able to not only be biblically literate, but also to be literate, period, to be able to read sources and read different commentaries and things like that. And so I suspect when English isn't your first language, you're not going to be reading novels. You're not going to be reading commentaries or, like, or, or works by Calvin or Luther. Uh, I doubt it. And so having English as a second language, you read your own scripture in your language, in your first language. And, and then there you don't even have an issue of translation where things aren't translated as well as they should be. And so what I find in my context is that they've been taught poorly. Um, to Eli's point, the Bible has become legalistic. They look at the law, for instance, the Old Testament, they read the law and they say, okay, they don't see that the law is about Jesus. It points to how we can't keep the law and our failure in doing so, and how Jesus kept it for us and fulfilled the requirements of the law and, and is rewarded with all the benefits of keeping the law. And that's why when we when Christ dies for our sins, he takes on our curse for failing to keep the law, and he gives us his reward, all the benefits that come with keeping the law. And it's all about Jesus. And the church, in my context, struggled seeing that, didn't understand that. Because when they read the Old Testament, they don't read it in its proper category. They don't read it in its context, understanding all these things. And so because it's segmented, because it's not part of the New Testament, because it's a it's a section that happened thousands of years ago, and this is God's word. So God said, thou shalt not steal. Well, if you stole, you violated the law. So what does it mean if I don't steal? Well, it means you're, you're a law keeper. And so in their eyes, they're thinking, well, I don't steal. And so I must be a good person. I'm a law keeper. I don't lie. I must be a good person. I don't commit adultery. I must be a good person. I don't, I don't murder. So I must be a good person. But what's interesting is that Jesus Christ himself in, in the gospels, he says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you've already committed the murder. 
You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you have lust in your heart for another woman, you've already committed adultery. And he takes the law and he flips it upside down. He says, it's not about the external keeping of it. It's about the inward heart. It's about your motive. And the fact of the matter is every single one of you have violated the law. Now, I don't know how many immigrant pastors preach that way. Tell the congregation that you can't keep the law. Every single one of you have in their, in their hearts violated it. And you need a righteousness outside of yourself. And that righteousness can only be found in Jesus Christ. Very rarely have I heard first-generation immigrant pastors preach that way. And, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't heard enough preaching. Maybe you, you all have heard more preaching than I have and know better, but Chances are the churches that you've heard and pre pastors that you heard preach who are first generation are preaching a legalistic form of the, the scriptures. They're taking the law and saying, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be a good person, do all these things. Martin Luther said it best. He says, the law says do this and it's never done. The gospel says believe this and it's done already. And that's the comforting great news that we have in Jesus Christ that it's done for us. Um, and so in my context, I, I see still a legalistic mentality, people still thinking and believing they're good people because they don't steal, they don't lie, they don't commit adultery. And, and so our, our goal as in our leadership and, and, and in my preaching is to point out that, no, you are not good enough. And some people understand that. They will say, well, I know I'm not good enough, but I'm not as bad as that guy. And we want to say, no, you're worse than that guy. <laughs> yeah. Every single one of you are just as bad you know, and, and far worse. And, and that's what we try to do. And it, and it sounds harsh, but that's where we need to get. We need to get outside of ourselves so we can turn to Jesus Christ. And so in our context, that's been the, the primary thing is teaching the Bible. What is it actually teaching? Is it teaching us to keep the law? Or is it teaching us to, to look at Jesus Christ who kept it for us? So with that, what has been one of your greatest joys, teaching and addressing biblical literacy? Yeah, my greatest joy is preaching the gospel. You know, I love telling the story. I love telling about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And it's the greatest news you can hear. Uh, you know, it's terrible news to hear if you're at a church and somebody says, you know, if you want to be faithful to God, you have to come to church every week, read the Bible every day. Uh, don't sin. Try your best not to do this. You know, don't don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't chew. Don't date girls that do. Right. That's been the Asian mentality for a long time. If you did those things, you were a gangster. You weren't you are not a good person. And so the idea is don't beat it. Don't, don't violate the law. Well, okay, well, I am a child of God in the church, and I hear this, that if I want to be a faithful Christian, I can't do any of these things. Well, screw that up, you know, and then how many, how many people are pushed out of the church because some pastors said they weren't good enough? And so the joy for me is to say, you don't need to be good enough. You don't need to do that. You just need to put your faith and hope and rest in Jesus Christ, rest in his finished work. And that's the, the gospel promise is that for all who believe, there are no longer any condemnation. There's no condemnation. And so that's my joy is to be able to tell people that you are not judged. You are not condemned. You don't need to feel guilty, but you can rejoice because your sins are forgiven. That's really how I address biblical literacy is teaching people how to read the scriptures and finding the gospel in it. Where do we see Jesus Christ in all the scriptures? And that's where, that's the joy I have in our, in our ministry. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I was really comforted. So, and then going off of that, what are some tangible tools or skills that you can offer to Christians who want to become more biblically literate? 
Yeah. Um, I think where to begin is to have a desire to read the Bible, right? So I would pray first and ask the Lord, Lord, I, I'm not, I don't have a routine or a pattern of reading scripture every day, but I want to be in your word. I want to be fed by you and grow spiritually. And that's the call of the gospel. Peter in his epistle says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you ask for is grace. Have mercy on me, Lord, and you know, give to me what I don't deserve, which is a desire to love you and love your word and then grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to know you more. I want to know everything about you. I want to understand your word. The psalmist David, he says, Lord, your word, I hide in my heart. And that's what should be all of our prayers. That we want God's word in our heart where it resounds there. It shapes the way we move. It shapes the way we think. And so begin by praying that the Lord will give you a natural desire to be in the word. And then I would say, begin by reading it. What's helpful in this respect is reading plans. So I do the McShaney reading plan every year. In fact, I have, I think, like eight days left until the, the year ends, right? And I'll be done with the whole Bible. And I've been doing that for several years now, where I read several chapters at a time with the McShaney reading plan. And every December 31st, I finish the whole Bible. And so it's been very encouraging. And every time I read through the whole Bible, it's been refreshing. I learn something new every time I read it. It's like, wow, I read this every year and I don't remember this or I completely glossed over this. And that's where we're continually growing in our understanding of scripture. And that's what illumination is. Illumination is the Holy Spirit sanctifying our minds to understand God's word more deeply. And the, the author of Hebrews tells the church that, you know, by now they ought to be teachers of the word, but instead they, they're like infants. They still need milk. They should be eating solid food, but they still need milk. And he encourages them to move on from the milk. And I would say they're in the milk because they haven't been in the word. They haven't been eating the deeper things of God through his word. And so begin by prayer begin by having a reading plan and try to get into reading every day. And then after that, just continue to read books that help you understand categories. Uh, to study the categories of scripture. So there'll be questions about, well, why, what do these parables mean? Or why did Jesus turn to the Jews and not the Gentiles at that point? Or something like that, right? There'll be different questions that we might have concerning our faith and concerning the study of the word. And that's where a lot of good commentaries and good books on theology will help you understand it. The, the problem of a lot of people, I would say today, is that they turn to books on theology without actually knowing the scriptures. And so they have in their mind that, okay, this is what this person says, you know, this is what, you know, I'll, I'll use a random theologian in general, John Piper. This is what John Piper wrote about justification. You know, I respect him. He's a good pastor and preacher. So I believe everything he says, and that's fine if you're reading Piper, but then you may not be able to articulate what Piper is saying in his book because you don't understand the scriptures as Piper does. And that's where I would encourage people to begin reading your scriptures, knowing what the word says, and then try to understand the study of it, the context of it, the background, uh, the categories we find in there, you know, what, what genre, what type it's in, and that kind of thing. That will be helpful after you actually understand, or not understand, but actually read the Bible. Yeah, those are my three tools. And then um, as we end this conversation, what are some book recommendations that you have for our listeners? Uh, 
Yes. So uh, I mentioned earlier T. David Gordon. I enjoyed reading his books. I think he has a lot of insight on what's going on today. So um, he has a website where he writes many, many articles on media, media ecology and what's going on with that. But um, he has two books out. Well, actually more than two books, but two books in particular will help us understand the importance of the Bible, but also the importance of church. And um, one book's called Why Johnny Can't Preach. And it speaks about the different preaching that goes on behind pulpits and the reason why so many sermons end up being legalistic and not focused on the scriptures itself. Um, and his other book is Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns and the problem with that. And interestingly enough, it's similar to what we find in biblical literacy, where people aren't singing hymns anymore because of how the media has changed, you know, and, and music has changed and things like that. And so that's something kind of study as well, I think. I haven't gotten too deep into it, but it's, it's, it is interesting to see the change in church services and church worship from singing hymns into more contemporary worship we have today. But also there's actually a change in the content itself of those songs that we find that you, you would find classically in, in traditional hymns. I personally like the, the, the people I read are usually dead men. And so, uh, you know, I read things from Calvin, Luther, um, all the reformers, and to throw another dead guy in there, recently dead guy, R.C. Sproul, another great theologian, you know, of our time and our generation. And so those are, those are authors I would turn to and a lot of good books too. As I said, for the reading plan, McShaney, McShaney reading plan is helpful. What he does is he he divides the reading in a reading in the Old Testament, a reading in the wisdom literature, a reading in the gospel, and then reading in the epistles. And then we you go through each chapter day by day. And then on your last reading, which will end in Revelation and the, the last portions of each of those categories. So I, I would encourage everyone who's listening to uh, get a reading plan like that. That's really helpful. And then um, for study of the different categories and different things that come up in the scriptures, um, R.C. Sproul has a great book called The Essential Truths of the Christian Faith. That's a book that really breaks down the different categories we have in theology. So questions like you asked today, you know, what is the Bible? What is special revelation? He writes one page, page and a half chapters on each of those categories. And that's been really a quick read, very helpful to understand your own um, understanding of theology. And so um, that's another book I encourage. But like I said, hundreds of books I can recommend but um yeah thank you for sharing those and we will have them in the show notes for anyone who is interested um yeah and again so thank you for being on here with us thank you so much for being with us here today welcome um, for having me on we will have SOPOT's information and any related resources in our show notes as well as on our Instagram so make sure to follow us there at let's break bread podcast also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and family. You can screenshot this episode and share it with us on Instagram what your takeaways are. Make sure to tag us at Let's Break Bread Podcast.